Welcome to the 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom Podcast. I'm Melissa Joy, a certified financial planner and founder of Pearl Planning. And I'm Melissa Friedenberg, financial advisor with Pearl Planning. Pearl Planning is a financial planning and investment management company located in Dexter and Gross Point, Michigan. We work with clients all around the country. The purpose of our podcast is to explore specific financial topics and provide advice you can use in your everyday life. Welcome back to the 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom Podcast. It's Melissa Joy here today, and I am so pleased to be joined by Maya Phillipson. Maya is the Chief Operating Officer at Adesina Social Capital. She is focused on ensuring that each client has a positive experience with the firm by coordinating support teams and liaising with outside professionals. Maya leads the firm's business strategy and promotes human and social capital development. In addition, she advances the firm's vision of a financial services industry that is aligned with movements for racial, gender, economic, and climate justice. Maya, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Melissa. I'm very, very excited to be here with you this morning. Well, I think that today's conversation is really interesting because it really tells the journey of an investment philosophy and the journey of your company, Adesina Social Capital, and how you at Adesina are tackling um, incorporating social justice into your investment strategies and a variety of other important, um, you know, relevant current topics. And so I just want to hear your company's perspective and yours, Maya, about where you are today and, and how you got there. Absolutely. So I think one of the really interesting things about Adesina is that my business partner, Rachel, and I actually owned a wealth management firm for many, many years. And so we worked directly with clients. Um, we're located in San Francisco, California. Mm-hmm. And so we located, we worked a lot with what we consider middle income clients. And being in the San Francisco Bay Area, we had a lot of clients that um, their values were really, really important to them. And making sure that their investments aligned with those values was almost as important as making sure that they had a positive return and that their money was working as hard for them as possible. And so, so what we- would be an example of a client who would give me some concrete examples of what those values might Absolutely. be articulated from your clients. Yeah. So we had a lot of clients um, who not only had environmental factors that they felt like they wanted to screen for, but also social factors as well. So social factors around um, how publicly traded companies um, responded to racial incidents and also the types of products that publicly traded companies were making, such as weapons, firearms, uh, tobacco, those types of things. And our clients really didn't want to invest in the creation of those products or support companies that they felt like weren't acting in, uh, in alignment with their values. And you're a company that has traditionally purchased individual stocks. Is that correct? 
Historically, that is the way that we had to do our level of screening, because when we started out, we were creating portfolios um, that were really tailored to our individual wealth management clients. Mm -hmm. What we found out is that not only could we not have enough reach in terms of making change, but it also put us in a really interesting paradigm. We feel like it's it's very common in the screened investing world to approach an individual client and say, okay, Jane client, um, what are your values? And to screen a portfolio based on her individual values around what she thinks is important to have reflected in her portfolio. Her preferences. Her preferences. Exactly. That's a great word for it. Um, And that's really important in terms of making the client really engaged with her portfolio and making her feel like her values are reflected. But what it lacks is it lacks a community lens. And it sometimes lacks issues uh, that could be screened for that maybe she's not as involved in or maybe she doesn't know about. And so when we started at Asina, we really took that and we kind of flipped it on its head and we use a community screening model. And that's, I think, one of the biggest differentiators between what we do and what other ESG, SRI, or screened product companies do is that we at Asina as investment managers, um, and even as investment managers that are in strong dialogue with clients, we don't assume that we necessarily know what the best way of screening a portfolio is. We actually go out and we talk to the people who are most impacted. We talk to community groups and we ask them what is important to them, what is important to screen for um, based on their needs. And so we're really reactive, not just to our clients, not just to our investors, but actually the wider community as a whole. So give me some examples. So what I'm hearing, and and just repeat what you just said, you're not looking um, across the table at your investors who you're putting their money to work and asking them, how would you like me to invest? You're going to either broader communities or specific communities, and you're asking them um, either deployment of cap be either detrimental or impactful. Is that, what are some of those communities? Absolutely. Let me give you, um, let me give you an example. So something that I've been thinking a lot of sadly this week is, is around gun violence. So really, really difficult. Um, it's pretty common in ESG SRI portfolios to screen out gun manufacturing. That's, that's pretty common. Um, and screening out companies generally based on what they make is, is also a pretty common thing. But we went and talked to some gun violence organizations. So we went and we talked to the Movement for Our Lives. Uh, we talked to the Giffords Project. And we actually asked those organizations, we said, okay, what are the actions that you would like publicly traded companies to stop doing? Like, how can we take our capital and how can we help convince publicly traded companies to to stop doing things? Um, And they told us that screening for weapons was absolutely 
weapons manufacturing, manufacturing of firearms was very important, but it was actually just the tip of the iceberg. So in our Adesina uh, portfolio and the ETF that we've created, we screen not only for gun, handgun uh, manufacturing, but we also screen for weapons of mass destruction, uh, landmines, nuclear weapons, um, as well as components. So companies that make components of weapons, firearms, that includes ammunition, bullets. Um, we also screen for companies that give uh, political donations towards pro-gun causes. That is a little bit difficult because, again, there are a lot of really responsible gun owners in the world. I have some mm-hmm. family members that are hunters um, and that are very responsible gun owners. And so it's not necessarily that we are anti gun. What we are is we are anti weapons of mass destruction. And we are absolutely anti irresponsible gun ownership. And the way that we we really look at money is we look at money as a as a force. And so if you put your money somewhere, you're saying in economic terms, you want to create more of that thing. And we at Edison, we do not want to create more weapons. We feel like we have plenty of weapons. We do not need to create more guns or more weapons. And so we want to pull back money, we want to pull back economic forces from weapons and firearms because we don't want to create more of those. That's really interesting. And I think topical today. And I I love that you acknowledge that there's a spectrum of perspective in terms of responsible gun ownership and that it's really helpful that you're articulating who you're listening to and, you know, the trade-offs and the conversations that you have. I, I just, the community aspect and that area of research is, is so fascinating to me because it's not something that I traditionally hear from a portfolio analyst or a portfolio manager. And my history was investment due diligence prior Mm -hmm. to being a financial planner. And it's still an important part of my role as a financial planner. Do you see that movement growing to, to continue to incorporate a community screening model or is it unique to Adesina? Yeah, that's a wonderful question, Melissa. Um, As far as I know, it's unique to Adesina, though I would love to see it grow. Truly, I would. Um, You know, my belief and Adesina's belief and my business partner's belief is that those that are closest to the problem, they have the most information about the issue. And so going to those groups and going to those people and asking them about the problem gets you, I believe, the best information. And so as an investment manager, I, and as a portfolio manager, I sit in a certain position of privilege. I have a certain amount of information. I identify as a white woman. I, you know, I'm educated. I come from an upper middle class family. And so I'm not necessarily going to be a person who has um, experience with, for instance, systemic racism, or even thankfully in my life, gun violence. And so I need to go talk to organizations that are closer to the issue to be educated and to learn about how I can screen a portfolio to meet their needs and their goals. 
that that listening and that incorporation from your perspective is really interesting. And I'm curious, who are you? Um, what other communities are you listening to? Who are you approaching? Or where else has your your research um, into your screening model taken you? Absolutely. So we have a very extensive set of screens at Adesina for our ETF product. Um, they are in kind of four intersectional quadrants. And we talk about intersectional. What we really mean is that we can't separate out some of these systemic systems. So we look at issues around gender, around race, um, around climate, and we feel like we can't separate them out. So we can't actually talk about climate screening, which is our more environmental screening, we can't talk about those without talking about race, for instance, because when you look at the communities that are most affected by climate change, and particularly by the warming of our globe, um, you see, particularly in the global south, and some of the countries that have huge coastlines, um, you see them being so much more affected than perhaps some of the countries in the northern hemisphere that sit on mountains, for instance. Um, And so if you don't talk about who is being affected, it's very difficult to talk about just the effects and to make it real for our clients and our investors. Um, So to give you an example around climate, we kind of did, uh, we wanted a climate screen that was more than just kind of carbon, which is a very standard climate screen. Um, And so we started talking to some climate groups about, you know, how how we have gotten to this place of, of global warming and what are the really big factors that contribute to that. And we found that actually farming Um, was a huge factor in climate, which is not something that I had ever really thought of, but Mm -hmm. ground for climate, uh, excuse me, for farming makes a big impact on climate and particularly farming of meat products makes huge impact on climate. And agriculture in general puts out a huge amount of carbon. And so we started looking at, well, where where is that happening and where is that not happening? And how does that interact with climate? And we see that these factory sort of factory farms that are mostly in the, the Northern hemisphere of the globe are making these huge changes to climate that are actually mostly being feeling effect in the global south. Um, And of course, we know from a racial perspective of who kind of lives in the more northern hemisphere and who lives in the the more southern hemisphere in terms of economic justice as well. And so we're doing a project Um, Right now, actually, with a group called Impact Experience and a group called ETC Group to create actually the first list of kind of a climate uh, justice agriculture list about Hmm. extractive agriculture and about companies that participate in extractive agriculture that make petrochemical fertilizers, um, that make genetically engineered something called terminator seeds that are one germination set of seeds um, that do monocropping too. And that's actually, strangely, that's a climate and a racial screen for us. Interesting. I I think that leads into one of the areas of conversation, which is both you are investing capital with the information that we're just describing with your research and your screens, 
but you're also sharing information, I believe, with other investors in terms of communicating about both communities that you're, you know, really pioneering these conversations with as a, a capital allocator, at least on, you know, kind of a retail investor level, as well as um, I know that um, your partner spoke to Congress about um, being an investor, yeah, um, and and you're 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 really um, front and center in terms of conversations in an area that um, doesn't have as many voices as probably we would like. So could you describe a little bit, well, tell us about Rachel and describe a little bit about the work that you're doing um, to, you know, kind of communicate and um, vocalize these areas of research. Yeah, thank you. So my business partner, Rachel Ribichetti, um is an amazing, wonderful woman. I'm very excited to be partners with her. Uh, we've known each other and been a business together since 2006, uh, though Adesina launched in, in 2020. Um, she recently did testify in the uh, Senate Banking Committee around retail investors and the experience of retail investors. I was very proud of her. It turns out that both she and I are complete fangirls for Congress. Um, who knew? But very well. I'm a. I am a. I studied political science myself, so I don't think I knew I was going to be an investor someday. So I. I um, agree. Yes, when she got the call from Senator Brown, both of us were like, "All right, so we're canceling our whole week so we can make this happen." Like, it is absolutely happening. It's thrilling. Um, one of the, the things that we have figured out is the, the kind of common language that our social justice organizations that we talk to around these issues um, and the institutional investors, the common language that they have is data. That's basically what they have in common. And as an investor and as a portfolio manager, the primary thing that we need to create good investment products is we need good data. You know, we're in many ways, we're a very quantitative industry. And so we um, look at factors of corporations and we need those factors, we need those data points to be good and correct. And so a lot of the work that we've done at Adesina with this kind of community model that I was talking about before is that we've been educating and helping social justice organizations understand that if they want to make economic changes, that one of the ways that they can do that is creating and curating very good and clean data sets. And then we've been helping institutional investors adopt those data sets. Everything from talking to large data providers like Morningstar um, down to talking to uh, small nonprofit organizations who actually have data sets um, and helping them create, curate, and sell those data sets to larger organizations. Well, I see that this these conversations, at least in, I know that you have um, been working on them. The the outgrowth of Adesina is the work that you did in your wealth management firm. But then mm-hmm. I, I anticipate that over time, just seeing the pace of, you know, kind of um, the pace of coverage of the types of research that you're doing in Adesina and the, the engagement that you're affecting within um, financial services in general, as well as you know, in multi-direction, multi-directionally between communities, between 
um, Congress, um, between leadership, between institutions, that this is just the beginning or early stages? Because I know you guys have done so much hard work. This is not a beginning for you. This is an evolution. There's so much more to come. Thank you. We're really excited. You know, we launched our launched Adesina's first but not last ETF in December of 2020. Um, and we have been enormously successful with that. It's hovering right under uh, 45 million right now in assets under management. And I think we've really started to see with the massive capital that we have, we really start to see and make some of the changes that we want. And we've really helped some of those social justice organizations see that by talking to investors and by talking to investor groups, it's another way for them to make change. And I think that has been one of the most exciting parts of our work um, is not only the asset management, which of course I enjoy and my whole team enjoys, but those conversations with the social justice partners when we can go to an organization like the Movement for Black Lives, like the March for Our Lives, um, like the Black Visions Collective, like the uh, American Friends Service Committee, and help them understand that it's not just email campaigns or street marches um, or house parties, that there's actually another form, there's an economic form for them to make change and to help them understand that and to see that sort of light bulb go off um, and then see that investors are willing to join them, both institutional investors who are investing in our in our ETF product, um, but then also retail investors who are really looking for something that aligns with their values and see the level of screening that we do and get really excited and engaged. Well, I guess I would leave you because there is a large and perhaps even seemingly larger because they're so vocal group of the financial world that is either skeptical or extremely dismissive of ESG strategies, um, both because of potential, you know, negative return impacts or just, you know, just extraordinarily dismissive. What is your response to those types of conversations? Yeah, we, we, in a certain, we welcome those conversations to a certain degree. I mean, we start off by saying, hey, investors, you're all doing some level of screening, right? It's like the disclaimer at the bottom of all of our paperwork. You can't directly invest in an index. Um, that's one of the first things you learn that your your funds that you're creating are going to mirror some type of the market, but you're not going to be investing in the entire market no matter what. So everybody is doing some level of screening. It's just about what level of screening you are doing. If you say that you're doing a purely quantitative level of screening, or if you're putting a social justice lens on top of it. Um, on top of that, I would go back to an earlier comment that I made which is about sort of money equaling equaling intent. Um, and I have conversations with some of those people uh, similar to the one that you and I just had about weapons where I say, where do you want to put your money? What do you want to create more of in the world? Do you really want to create more racial division? Do you want to create more private prisons? Do you want to create more weapons? Um, and most people don't because they're thoughtful, reasonable people. And so helping them understand that money is a force and helping them understand that we can create more and less of things with our choices, but screening in a really different way. 
And I think what you're describing is that your your capital and your money can be intersectional with the rest of your life. It can, and it should. Your overall life. So just wrapping up, where do you see the, the next steps where, as you kind of pioneered this community engagement model, community screening model, where do you think you'll be going? What are some of the projects that Addisina has on its list for potentially in the future? Absolutely. So we launched our first ETF um, in December. We we have more on the horizon that we'd love to launch. Uh, We're launching SMA products uh, later this year. So for institutional investors who want to use our screening um, and our community-based screening to help create sort of portfolios that are more individualized for those institutions, we are working on that. And we're also working on just, again, bringing up and helping some of our nonprofit partners create data lists and create data screening um, that they can disseminate throughout the industry. I can't wait to see and hear about what you explore next. And I appreciate the candid conversation. And I know that I wanted to have this discussion not only because of my personal interest, but also because I know clients that really value these types of conversations. And it it is without these conversations, there's an impediment for them feeling comfortable as an investor. So so I hope that they'll enjoy, you know, kind of exploring the the how and the why of a um, community screening model. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Very, very excited. Um, I really appreciate the invitation. And I hope that I've uh, sparked some questions and conversations with your listeners. Have a great day, Maya. Thank you, Melissa. You as well. You can access our first two seasons of this podcast on our website at www.pearlplan.com or on Spotify. If you're interested in learning more about Pearl Planning, feel free to sign up for our newsletter, also found on our website.